Welcome to Life Insurance HQ, the podcast. I'm your host, Jason Miracle. Thanks again for joining us this week. We're excited uh, to talk about Index Universal Life Insurance, how it works, what it does, who it can benefit, everything from soup to nuts. It's a very complex topic. We're going to try and make it as simple as possible. For more information, you can visit our website at miracleco.com. That's M as in Mary, E-R-I-C-L-E-C-O.com. So let's get started today. Uh, Index Universal Life Insurance is a type of universal life insurance product that offers great amount of flexibility with death benefit and premium payments. What makes Index Universal Life Insurance different than other universal life insurance policies is how the policy cash value is credited uh, interest. And, and that's really the key to how this product works. It is the engine and it can be very confusing. It can be very complicated. It can be very difficult to understand. And so we're gonna do our best today to help provide uh, some clarity on how it works and exactly what it does. So. Let's, let's get started. So in an index universal life policy, uh, a policy owner makes a premium payment and that premium payment goes into the policy and expenses are taken out. And then whatever is left over, uh, that money is allocated or can be allocated amongst different indexes. So inside of the policy, you have access to a fixed interest account which works very similar to a traditional universal life policy, where if you allocate the money into that fixed interest account, they're just going to credit you what the current crediting rate is in the policy. This is typically going to be between two and a half to as high as four and a half percent in today's current environment. And that fixed interest account, just like traditional universal life policies, will typically include a guaranteed crediting rate that they can't lower that that rate to. So let's assume there's a guaranteed rate of 2% and there's a current crediting rate of 3%. They're going to credit the policy cash value that 3%. The carrier can drop it as low as two, uh, but typically we, we have seen that, but typically it doesn't happen very often. Now, alternatively, the policy owner can choose to allocate a portion of the cash value or all of the cash value to an index account. And the way the index account works is money, the cash value is is allowed to participate in the performance of the chosen underlying indice. Some of the more common indices or probably the most common index is the S&P 500. Depending on the carrier and the product and the product type, you may see uh, index accounts that participate in the performance of the Hang Seng or the Eurostox 50, Russell 2000 Index, NASDAQ 100, uh, MSCI Emerging Markets. Different policies have different options and different uh, access to various indexes. So that's one thing you're gonna wanna look at is what are the indexes? What are my choices within those indexes? And how do we go from there? And you can actually allocate those cash values 
two different index indices. So you may have 50% in the S&P, you may have 25 in the Hang Seng and 25 in the fixed account. And, and you can do that. That's not a problem. So, but for today's conversation, we're going to focus primarily on talking about the S&P 500, just because I think there's more familiar, familiarity there uh, with that particular index. And we're going to talk about how the crediting of the cash value is determined based on uh, different options within uh, the policy. So let's get started with that. So let's say uh, there are a number of different ways that policies uh, are credited. And so what we need to start with is how each of these works. So Traditionally, what happens is when money goes into an index, you create what's called an index segment. And the index segment is basically a, a starting period and an ending period of when the policy values are determined. And so let's say I have $100 and we put it into an index segment today. And one year from now, the segment period would be one year. The, that the that hundred dollars S and P five hundred growth grows to uh, one hundred five, and so they're going to look at what the beginning value, what the value of the segment was at the beginning of the period and at the end of the period to determine what the policy is going to be credited. So in that example would be five percent. There are index segment periods that the index segment periods do vary. The most common is one years, is one year, but we have seen it be as long as five years in some cases. And so it's important to understand how, how each of those segments works. The other thing to note is that you can have multiple segments in a policy. So let's say I'm making monthly premium payments. Well, each month, a new segment would be created based on the chosen underlying index. And so you can have multiple segments. In fact, we like multiple segments because it doesn't put everything at risk uh, based on a single date every year. And so once we have our segment established, um, we're going to want to figure out what, what our segment growth rate is going to be. And, and that's going to be the percentage change of, of the segment. And so based on the, again, the beginning value and the ending value, that's going to determine our segment growth rate. So let's assume today the S&P 500's at 1,000. Okay, it's not, but let's just assume that it is. Well, if at the end of the year or one year from when we started that segment, it's grown to, I don't know, 1,200, then the segment growth rate for that specific segment will have grown 20%. Now, conversely, if the beginning value was 1,000 and the S&P one year from now has gone down to 900, we would have a negative segment growth rate. Now, what makes index universal life insurance interesting is you're not actually participating you're participating in the performance of the index, but you don't have downside risks specifically as it relates to the growth of the segment. So in years where 
the segment growth rate is negative, you're going to be guaranteed in most policies a floor of zero. There are some carriers and some products out there that will guarantee a floor of 1%. But again, in years where the segment growth rate is negative, you're going to have a floor of zero, which means instead of the policy being credited minus 10%, it's going to be credited zero. Now, a lot of people will tell you that zero is your hero, and, and it is. But remember, you also have ongoing expenses in the contract. And so even though you're getting zero, your cash value may go down simply because there are expenses to the policy that need to be maintained in order to keep the policy in force. Now, with that in mind, one thing that's important to note is index universal life insurance, just like other permanent life insurance policies, uh, is, is a very tax-friendly environment. And what I mean by that is the growth, any growth inside of the policy is not taxable. Any withdrawals or distributions from the policy in the future are going to be in the form of a withdrawal or a loan, which isn't taxable uh, to the owner. And then you also have the tax-free death benefit of the policy that will go to the heirs. Where you can create a taxable event is where you've uh, taken money above your basis and surrender the policy. In those situations, you would be facing a situation where you would owe ordinary income taxes on any gain that was received in the policy. So getting back to how our index segments work, again, in years where segment growth is negative, we're going to have a floor of 0%. So uh, the index could decline by 40%, you're still going to get zero. Now, in order for an insurance carrier to be able to offer that, they have to put limitations on how much the segment can grow or what the segment growth rate will be. The most common and probably easy to understand is uh, a cap rate. So the cap rate is the maximum amount the segment growth rate can be for a specific index segment. So let's unpack that a little bit. We have a segment, which is the period of time that we're measuring to determine what the segment growth rate will be for the chosen index. We know that we have a floor of zero in years where performance is negative for that segment. But in order for them to offer the floor of zero, they need to include a cap rate. And so a lot of times what we'll see is a cap rate right now, depending on the carrier, they're typically between seven and a half and nine and a half percent. For purposes of, of our conversation today and examples, let's just assume a cap rate of 10%. So going back to our earlier example, we had a beginning segment uh, value of 1,000 and it grew to 1,200, which would give us a segment growth rate of, 12, of 20%. If I have a cap rate of 10, then the carrier is only going to credit the policy cash value 10% and not the entire 20. And so that allows them to be able to offer that zero. So you're giving up, in certain years, you may be giving up something on the top. You're not losing anything on the bottom. Now, in years where the segment growth rate is, say, eight, and there's a cap rate of 10, then the policy cash value or that segment will be credited 8%, the 8% that it earned. 
and just that 8%. But again, if it's over 10%, the policy is going to be credited that 10. Now, there's also another factor that can come into how segment, uh, segment growth rates are determined or actual uh, uh, growth is determined and credited to the policy. Some policies will include, and, and it can be in addition to or separate from, uh, something called a participation rate. The participation rate is simply the percentage change that is recognized when calculating the segment growth rate. Uh, index segments will have different participation rates. So as an example, an index segment may have a participation rate of 110%. When the segment growth rate is calculated, the carrier will multiply it by the participation rate to determine what the index segment crediting rate will be. Index segments with high participation rates will realize a more positive crediting rate, rate and those with a lower uh, participation rate will uh, realize less of a change. Uh, and so participation rates generally, and in most cases are still subject to a cap rate. So you may have uh, an index segment that includes 150% uh, participation rate. So if the segment growth rate is 5%, they're going to apply a, a factor of 150% to determine what the segment is going to be credited. So 150% uh, of 5% is going to be 2.5%. So in that particular situation, the cash value is going to be credited 7.5% or 5% times 1.5%. Uh, I believe my math's right there. Uh, let me just check that right real quick. Five times 1.5. So we're at seven and a half. Now, it will be in situations where uh, the participation rate is applied uh, to, to a segment growth rate. Let's say the segment growth rate is at 8%. And we have participation rate of 150%. Well, that would result in a... Uh, growth rate of 12%, but it's still going to be in some cases subject to the cap of 10. So in those situations, you're still only going to be eligible for the policy or that segment to be credited 10%. There are other methods um, that carriers will use to determine how a policy is credited. And really it's just a function of what you decide to do. So there are there are some options where they use what's called a spread, um, which is typically doesn't have a cap rate, may have a, may have a participation rate, but it's essentially a, a hurdle that the index has to get over before the policy cash value begins to get credited. So let's assume uh, we have a spread of 5%. If the segment growth rate increases by 30%, then the index segment will be credited 25%, which is 30% uh, segment growth rate less the 5% spread rate. So if, if the segment growth rate only increases by 4% in that example, then the policy is going to be credited zero because we didn't clear the 5% spread rate that was established. So this allows those individuals who are very optimistic about how the underlying index is going to perform 
where they think, okay, well, maybe it is going to get go up by 25% this year. I'm willing to take the risk that it won't go beyond that, that it will go beyond five. And then that way they're not subject to a 10% cap rate. And so it's a different, it's a different, a little bit different of a shift. When you're doing this though, you're going to want to make sure that you know exactly what the spread rate is for that chosen segment. And so different carriers are going to have different spread rates. Most recently, as of earlier this week, uh, we were looking at some different index policies for, for various clients. And oftentimes those spread rates right now are in the five to 7% range. And so the underlying index would have to earn at least five to 7% before the policy cash value uh, would be credited. Anything below that spread is going to result in the policy or that ca- that segment's cash value being credited that floor rate that we talked about at, at zero. Now, in addition to the different ways the, the, the calculations are determined as far as the crediting of the cash value is concerned, is uh, what makes it unique is once the segment expires or matures, then we start a new segment period provided we haven't made any changes to the policy. So let's go back to our early example where we were talking about the floor. So we had the S&P 500. It started, it was at 1,000 at the beginning of the segment period. At the end of the segment or at maturity of the segment, one year from now, it dropped to 900. So we know we've already been credited the floor, but now we're getting ready to start a new segment. Okay, well, that new segment Again, we're not moving out of the S&P 500. We're not moving out of the one-year participation. That new segment will start at 900. And so it doesn't hold the the, the value at 1,000 that it was at the beginning of the prior segment. It starts a new segment based on the ending value of the earlier segment. Conversely, if the segment grows to 1200 and we've only been credited 10% because we were in the cap rate uh, bucket, it's going to start that new segment at 1200. And then if that 1200 a year from now goes down to 500, then that new segment, the beginning value of that third segment in this example will start at 500. And so it's a very fluid, ever-changing, ever-moving. And so you can be in situations, again, where you may have 12 segments going on. You may have more than that based on whether or not you decided to participate in more than one index, more than one crediting method. Uh, You could have multiple buckets that are maturing every year uh, or every month at at different times. So one one of the things that causes different cap rates to change uh, participation rates and spreads is because they're based on the carrier's ability to secure options in order to meet their obligations under the policy. And so policy cash values are not directly invested in the options. The options are merely there to support how the index account and segments are credited. And based on the combination of interest rates and cost of options, carriers are able to determine what the cap rates are, what the participation rates are, what the spread rates are. 
And so essentially what happens is a carry looks at what they would credit a policy's fixed account. And instead of crediting it to the policy cash value, they use it to purchase options to support the crediting of the index account. So, and what happens is in times of low fixed rates, carriers have less available to purchase options. So when there is, and the other side is when there's a high, when there's high market volatility, the cost of options goes up. So when you combine low fixed rates at the carrier level with high market volatility, what we're going to see is we're going to see lower cap rates. And the carrier does have the ability from segment period to segment period to reduce or increase cap rates, participation rates, and spread rates. In fact, carriers do reserve the right or have a, in each product, a carrier has a guaranteed minimum cap rate that they can apply to a policy. And a lot of times these minimum cap rates are in the four to 5%, similar to a guaranteed rate versus a current rate. And so while they're not at four or 5% right now, they do have the ability to adjust it downward. Same with participation rates, same with spreads. They can take spreads up to make it harder to achieve uh, segment growth. Um, they can take them down and make it easier. So in scenarios where we have high market volatility and low fixed rate, which is fixed rates, which is an environment that we're in, it's going to result in lower cap rates and participation rates and higher spread rates. Now, when fixed rates are higher and there's lower market volatility, the index accounts will have higher cap rates and higher participation rates with lower spread rates. It's important to note a carrier cannot change the rate of an existing index segment, but when the segment does mature and a new segment begins, they are able to adjust the rates at that time. So again, it's important to work with somebody that can uh, help you understand what's going on within the index segments, what changes are occurring within the product, so that you can plan accordingly uh, to, to make the, the, the right decisions. Now, moving down the road, policy owners are able to access cash values uh, from access the cash value of the policy. Uh, the cash value can stay in the policy, policy to support the ongoing death benefit um, and, and, and maintain the coverage in the future. Now, when you're if you're thinking about taking a loan from a policy, there are some things you, you need to be aware of. There's generally two types of loans. There are standard loans, which is more or less a, a fixed loan. Um, and then there's what's called a variable loan. Some carriers will refer to them as indexed loans or participating loans. We're gonna spend more time in another podcast talking exactly about how those work and what those do and some of the things to be aware of. But again, what we're what we're seeing is there's been a shift by a lot of the insurance carriers to develop indexed uh, life insurance products. I think a lot of that is driven by two things. One, I think they're very profitable products for the insurance carrier. I, I, I don't think there's any question about that. But two, being in a low interest rate environment, carriers, it has been difficult for carriers to provide a 
consistent current crediting rate in traditional policies. So this allows consumers uh, or, or provides consumers with an option to have a permanent universal life insurance policy that gives them the opportunity to potentially outperform what uh, a traditional universal life or traditional current assumption universal life policy can offer. And so uh, there are a number of other things to, to consider uh, when it comes to index universal life. But today we just wanted to focus on how the policy cash values are credited. Uh, this is going to be a topic that we continue to cover because it's a it's an important topic. It's becoming a more popular product. And I believe there's a lot of confusion or can be a lot of confusion out there in terms of how the product works and what it does and what the expectation is of the consumer and the advisors. There are a number of ways index universal life is being used from accumulation for supplemental retirement income to death benefit protection to life insurance premium financing. So in the months, weeks, years to come, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about index universal life insurance, how it works and what the pros and cons are. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to email us at LIHQ, that's LIHQ at M-E-R-I-C-L-E-C-O.com. Again, you can get information at MiracleCO.com, that's M-E-R-I-C-L-E-C-O.com. And uh, we hope you enjoyed today's podcast and we look forward to next week. Um, again, if you have any questions, please email us at lihq at miracleco.com. Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your day.